Mark chapter 4. We'll pick up today in verse 35. And for most of us, uh, a story that uh, we're probably very familiar with, uh, reading it ourselves or, or hearing it or possibly even seeing reenactments of it in, in a movie. Uh, for those who are not familiar with this, this is, this is one of those stories that is, that is an amazing display of God's power in nature. But we'll see as we unfold this the, the amazing power of God in our lives and, and things that we can take away from it. But I, I would ask at the outset, as we even begin to, to read the story, if this is one that you say, oh, yep, been there, heard this, okay, great, <laughs> pay close attention. God has, has such a special thing for us. I, I've shared with a few people this week, this is one of the stories that I have a real blessing to teach a lot because every time we go to Israel, this is one that, that I teach from. Every time that, that I've, I've actually been asked a couple of times to speak at other churches, this seems to be one that God leans, brings me to. But every time I study it, it's just such an amazing blessing. So Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35, says this, On that day when evening came, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they came to him, uh, they, they took him, I'm sorry, along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. He said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Kind of as a, as a lead in here, the, kind of the setting to understand, it does say at the beginning there, on that day, the day that we've been looking at over the past few weeks as we've looked at chapter four as a whole, beginning with Jesus teaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, it became so crowded that Jesus had to get into a boat and be pushed out a little away from the shore so that he could teach and that everybody could hear him. And he taught the parable of the sower. Then it tells us that he had some time alone with his disciples where he was able to explain that parable. And we talked about last week the key to that parable and some of the other things that, that come out of that to the other teachings of Jesus. Spending time with his disciples saying that he's explaining things more in detail with them. But it tells us now on that day, the end of that day, so late in the afternoon, Jesus tells his disciples to get into a boat they push out to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, leaving the Capernaum region, and we'll see next week, should the Lord tarry, chapter 5, they land in the area of the Gadarenes, and we'll talk of that next time. But in the midst of this journey across the, the sea, a major storm hits, a storm in such a way that it tells us that the boat is even taking on water. And it's not a hard stretch to see where we go with this as we're teaching and, and, and studying through this, that, that we all face storms in our lives. And the amazing part about this in the storms that we can all sit down and compare is they're, they're, they come, and they come often. 
They come in different shapes and different sizes, some much more intense than others, some much more unexpected than others. And when we look at the Sea of Galilee itself, it, the, the storms that hit there are, are unlike others in some places. It sits 680 feet below sea level, so it's already in this deep basin. Not too many miles away is the Mediterranean Sea at sea level. So warm sea air comes off of that damp sea air coming over. And then you hit the area of the Sea of Galilee, low already, mountains and hills surrounding the Sea of Galilee. One of them, Mount Hermon, that has snow on it most of the year. The cold air coming off of there. Can you imagine this? this it's the perfect ingredients for perfect storms as they hit. And those that are a part of that, those that would be involved in the fishing trade, no doubt accustomed to storms like that. Many times that we've been there in Israel and, and had the opportunity to be out there, we've been totally blessed to have perfect weather. But you talk to the fishermen, you talk to the people that are on the boats, and yes, these storms are regular occurrences. And when we look at the storms that we, that we have in our own lives, those things that we face in our own lives, again, we could probably all again say very different in, in intensity at times and things that are coming unexpectedly. And when we look at the storms in our lives as Christians, we need to understand that Nothing comes into our lives that God doesn't either directly send or allow to come into our lives, and nothing is without purpose. Some storms are for our correction, and we see illustration of that even in the story of Jonah. Jonah was told to go to Nineveh, and he said, no way, Jose, that's my translation, went the other direction, got in a ship, got in a boat, went the other way, and the Lord sent a storm that was so severe that all of these experienced seamen were assuming that the boat was going down. Jonah finally stepped forward and said, guys, it's all because of me. Throw me overboard. Your problems are solved. They did. They were Jonah gets swallowed by the big, the big fish we know, gets barfed up on the shore. Read the rest of the story yourself. But that was, a, that was for correction for Jonah, going the wrong way. But guys, a lot of the storms, and I would say even most as Christians that we face, are for instruction, not for correction. They're for growing us. You see, the disciples in our story today were in the middle of the storm for two reasons. One, they were following Jesus. Two, they were being completely obedient. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. They take Jesus with them in the boat in the middle of the sea, and here this storm comes. And we need to understand that, that again, it tells us on that day, right? So Jesus has been instructing them. Jesus has been teaching them. Jesus has been telling them about the kingdom of heaven and what it is like and what life is like in the kingdom of heaven. And guess what? And I see some young people here that can probably remember this much more fresh than the rest of us, but it doesn't matter how far you've been out of school, just a couple of weeks or a few years. There's two words that still probably strike fear into most of us when the teacher would walk in and say, pop quiz, right? We don't like those, but it sure teaches us to be ready and be prepared. Well, here's a pop quiz. Jesus has been teaching them. Jesus has been instructing them, and here we go. Quiz time. How much have you learned? And fortunately, bad, bad news for some, but it just embrace it. These are mandatory courses that we take as Christians. They're not electives. <laughs> it's part of the curriculum. But Jesus said, let's go over to the other side. There's no mention of the trip details, only the destination, the other side. And guess what? When Jesus says you're going to the other side, 
you're going to the other side. It tells us that this storm, however, was so severe that the boat is filling with water. This is also recorded for us in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8, Luke, chapter 8. Matthew's Gospel says the waves are crashing over the boat. That's how bad it is. Luke uses the word swamped within the boat. But I want to draw our attention to uh, verse 38. It says, Jesus himself was in the stern in the rear of the boat asleep on the cushion. Now, a couple of things just to kind of look at that that I, that I can appreciate again. First of all, understand Jesus in his humanity is exhausted. This day no doubt began like most, if not all days for Jesus early in the morning before others even got up, going away by himself in prayer, spending time with the Father. And then, as we've already outlined, his day has been filled with masses of people all around him, teaching, instructing, continually going on through the day. Jesus is wiped out, exhausted. And, and I hope that brings comfort to you who are working doing things, perhaps overextended at times, and you just get exhausted to the point where you can't keep your eyes open. And I know some of you, I mean, it's okay. I, I have a better view than most from up here, and I see it from time to time, and I get it. And, you know, I used to, I used to kind of get, you know, kind of be offended by that, but I got over that a long time ago because some of you guys, I, as a matter of fact, talking with one young man a couple of years ago, he came up and he apologized to me, and he says, you know, I hate to tell you, but this happens from time to time, but I come right after work. He works an all-night night shift and then comes to church. I'm like, bro, God bless you. You know, I, I pray you get something before you kind of not off and even while you're sleeping the Holy Spirit I'd rather have you sleeping here than somewhere else so that's, that's great and again Jesus in his humanity he understands our weariness he understands exhaustion because he took on human flesh but the thing I want, I want to really underscore with this is, is there is there, the tremendous peace that Jesus had. I, I don't know the answer to this question but I think we could probably all kind of probably be on the same page. Do you think he knew the storm was coming? Yet he was able to be sound asleep in the back of the boat. Sound asleep. The peace that he had. And guys, the peace that he had is available to you and to me in the middle of our storms. The same peace because it comes from the same source. He tells us, my peace I give to you. But the peace that he had comes from the same place. It comes from the Father. Isaiah 26.3 in the New Living Translation says this, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Jesus could sleep in the back of the boat in the middle of that storm because he trusted the Father. He could sleep in the back of the boat because his, his thoughts, his everything was focused on the Father. Guys, that same peace is available to you and I. We can have peace in the middle of whatever comes our way if we trust God. If we keep our, our focus fixed on him. Now, we're talking about Jesus in his humanity, but we can never, ever, ever forget that Jesus, fully man, never left his divinity, fully God. Now, in his divinity, praise the Lord, he doesn't get weary, he doesn't get tired, he doesn't sleep through our storms. Isaiah 40, 28, 
Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. Never gets tired. He's never sleeping during our storms. But here he is, sound asleep in the back of the boat. Now I have, it's, I always try to encourage you in your own study with different things to help in, in our study of the word. And one of those is to ask questions while you're reading. The, the who, what, where, when, why questions. That helps us to get, to get deeper into the study and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us as we're studying. But one of the why questions that I have is why in the world would the disciples wait until the boat is almost sinking to wake Jesus up? Now it doesn't tell us the answer. But I'm just going to walk down this road with you and I as, as human beings because I think we could probably find the answer there. Because no doubt I'm thinking that part of them, some of them were fishermen. Peter, James, John, Andrew. We know at least the four of them were fishermen. And as I mentioned, they grew up on the Sea of Galilee. They've seen storms before. And I wonder if, if, again, because I know this in my own self, when the storm is just starting and the wind's just starting to kick up and the rain just starting and the waves just starting a little bit, saying, got this. I've been here before. I know how to handle this. This is no big deal. You see, that's the problem is so often we can, we can start relying on ourselves, on our own experiences, on our own strength when things don't seem to be so bad, at least at the beginning. Now, the Bible tells us not to lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him, in everything that we face. Even when things seem like they're overall in control, just a little bit kind of getting kind of windy, no, immediately we are to go. Not relying at all on, on, on myself, on my strength, on my pride, any of my past experiences, but to go right to the Lord. Now, that might explain the four of them or whatever, the fishermen, but what about those that weren't the fishermen? Like Matthew, a tax collector. Like me, a landlubber. I'm, just, I'm good with my feet firmly planted on the ground. Don't know how many times he'd ever been in a boat before. Why in the world didn't he go to Jesus right away? Again, we don't know, but I can look to myself and my flesh and say, you know what, sometimes I just look around and he probably said, well, hey, Peter's not worried. Peter's a fisherman. He's been here before. I'll go to Peter. Hey, Peter, what do I do here? How do we handle this? What should I do? And if we're not careful, that can be, again, our response in the flesh is we can look around and we can say, you know what, I'll, I'll call my parents. I'll go check with mom and dad, or, or I'll go check with my neighbor, you know, he seems like a really smart guy, or, you know, I know somebody else has been through this, or even within the church, I know somebody else has been through a battle similar to this, I'll go talk to them, or, you know what, I'll call the church, and I'll see if I can get an appointment with the pastor, and I'll go talk to the pastor. None of those things are bad. They shouldn't be first. First, we need to go to the Lord. No matter what it is, no matter what we're facing, no matter how insignificant it might seem at first, the first place we need to go in everything is to the Lord. He might direct us to go to family, to go to friends, to come to the pastors. Absolutely. That is, that's, I'm not saying again that that's wrong, but the first place we need to go is to the Lord. He wants to be involved in every detail. But so often we can be just like the disciples, and it's only, it's only when things seem absolutely out of control that we go to the Lord. 
And I love, though, the reaction. We see that as soon as they go to him and they cry out to him, he wakes up. Now, again, put, let's put ourselves back into the story. The waves are crashing over the boat. The boat is rocking like crazy, raining, pouring, everything going on. Jesus <laughs> wiped out. Yet, as soon as his, one of his cries out to him, he's awake. He's in action. I, that, just, that just blesses me that the Lord is so attentive to us. Everything, everything that we need, always. Now, when we look at the different accounts, and as I mentioned, there's Luke chapter 8, Matthew chapter 8, and here in Mark, it tells us three different things. The story differs when it gets to what the disciples say when they go to Jesus. Now, some might look at that and say, well, up, oh, see, there's a contradiction. No, that's not a contradiction at all. There's 12 men going to Jesus when the boat's going down. And can you imagine? They're probably not all saying the same thing. But it's interesting when we look at them together, because in Luke's account, it tells us that they went to him and said, Master, Master, we are perishing. And when I, we hold these up, and again, I like to look at this, and, and I, I have to confess, I can see my own prayer in some of this sometimes. Master, master, what they're saying, that word means like overseer, the one in, the one in charge here. You know, basically, let's use the ship analogy. Hey, captain, the ship's going down. Just want to let you know. <laughs> Wake up, you're going down with us. And how often is my prayer just kind of a, hey, God, I want to let you know what's going on. I know you're really busy up there. You probably haven't noticed, but things are getting a little out of control down here. Just kind of, again, just making God aware of the situation. My prayer so often could just be that, just a recount of everything that's happening. Well, we see here in our text, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Again, teacher, is Jesus their teacher? Of course he's their teacher. He's been teaching them. He's been instructing them. But notice the next part is, don't you care? I know you see it. I know you know what's going on. But do you really care what's going on in my life right now? Do you ever pray like that? You don't have to admit it out loud. But God knows. So often it's like we feel like, man, you're, just, you're not paying attention. Do you even care that I'm going through this suffering and this struggling? Thirdly, in Matthew's account, it's in Matthew 8, 25. At least this is closer, but we'll see in a moment. They still miss the mark with the prayer. They say, save us, Lord. We are perishing. Again, Lord, the acknowledgement of, of who he is, that he is, that he is Lord. And save us, Lord, basically crying out, if you don't do something, we have no chance. But they still will miss the mark, as we'll cover in a moment. But I want to... I want to move on to Jesus' response first, and then we'll come back. It tells us that Jesus gets up, and he rebukes the wind and says to the sea, hush, be still. Now, I, I love this every time when I, when I read through this because I, I have such a perfect visual as to what happens to the, the sea, a great illustration from me personally, because the word literally means that Jesus cries out, it says, be muzzled. We have a dog at home, his name's Gizmo, and he's a great dog, miniature schnauzer, awesome, wonderful dog, except he's got one major flaw, he just can't help himself but to bark, 
when, when people come over, somebody rings the doorbell, even when the front door opens and that little chime goes ding, he just starts barking, bark, 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 and says, gizmo, quiet, bark, 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 bark. And he knows he's not supposed to because he sits there and his ears are down and he just like, he can't help himself. So we have to get the muzzle when people come over. And I gotta tell you, it's the most pathetic thing you've ever seen. As soon as you put it on him, he freezes and he stares at the ground right in front of him and he doesn't move until you take the muzzle off. He's so humiliated by wearing that thing, and he sits there, and he's just quivering, and he's just looking at the ground. I feel so bad for him, but it's so pathetic, but it's such a perfect illustration of what happened here. Be muzzled immediately. That storm, bam, frozen. I mean, Jesus humiliates the storm. I mean, it is just done. Not a breath of wind. It tells us that it became perfectly calm. Notice that. And the idea with that immediately, you know, if a storm is going like that and all of a sudden it stops, for hours the sea is still going to be going like this as it slowly gets back to normal. That's not what happened here. Perfectly calm immediately. It went from rock and waves crashing to glass. And the only thing that was heard was Jesus' voice echoing across the water. Immediately. says they were very much afraid after that. Can you imagine the scene? They're just dripping wet and, and screaming, and all of a sudden, boom, everything's quiet, and they're just like. Jesus dealt with the minor issue first. That was the storm. He turns his attention then to the much more important issue as he asks his disciples two questions. First, why are you afraid? Second, how is it that you have no faith? That first question, when we, when we first think of that, why are you afraid? And we're putting ourselves, let's put ourselves in the boat. What do you mean, why am I afraid? Those waves were crashing. The boat was filling up with water. We are sinking. What do you mean, why are we afraid? But think about it again from what Jesus is saying. Why are you afraid? Didn't I tell you that we're going to the other side? Am I not here in the boat with you? You see, in our flesh, in, our, in ourselves, in our own strength, we look at the circumstances around us and it makes sense to be afraid. But that's not how we're to look at life as Christians. We're to look at life through the eyes of faith. The Bible tells us that we have not been given a spirit of fear or timidity, but we have been given a spirit of power, love, and discipline. You see, the greatest problems, guys, aren't around us. The greatest problem is in us. Why am I afraid? The second question that he asks them is, how is it that you have no faith? Literally in the Greek, it says, how is it that you don't have faith yet? Why is it that you don't trust me yet? After everything that you've seen, after everything that you've heard, after everything that you've experienced following me, how do you not have faith yet? And the faith that you do have, how can it not be tested? Because Peter tells us this in 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. You see, the faith, faith isn't worth having if it can't be tested. 
For you probably heard it, head, heard it said that a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. And, and this, this testing of our faith, the Lord allows to come into our lives. And that's what he's asking them. How is it that you don't have this faith yet? I want to go back now because I mentioned that, that there's three different things that they're, that, that they're saying, that they're, they're the difference. But there's one thing that they've said that's the same in all three, and that is we are perishing. They're stating something that they absolutely believe to be a fact. We are perishing. That word is we are destroyed. We are done. It's the Greek word apolemai. Now, I say this because to me it it brought me a little chuckle and it kind of helps me remember and kind of put me right into the middle of it because, again, remember the storm. Remember what's going on. And now there's thinking in this, we are apolemai. Apollomai is spelled A-P-O-L-L-Y-M-I. <laughs> Why am I here? Why am I in this? Why am I going through this? I'm being destroyed here. Would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4? Because while I poke a little fun at that, the reality is, that we all go through these things, and it's no laughing matter. They're really, they're serious things, but we need to understand some things about all of this. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, going to the right, we're in Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, keep going, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, stop. Chapter 4. Beginning, let's look at verse 5. Paul has been writing to the church in Corinth. He's talking about the new covenant, the fact that we are ministers of the new covenant as born-again believers. We're being transformed into the image of God from glory to glory, as he's talking about in in chapter 3. Now he continues on here, again, the ministry of sharing the gospel He says, verse 5, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give note the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now there's a lot here, but let me summarize it real quickly. We as born-again believers have the light in us. If your Bible should have it capitalized, speaking again, Jesus in us, the light of the world. We, like the rest of the world, were dead in our transgressions and sins. We were walking in darkness. We were blind, but we have been blessed by now being able to see, having the light in us. Now, shown in our hearts, But notice here, verse 7, but we have this treasure, that treasure being the gospel, the light in earthen vessels. Earthen vessels describing you and I, and he uses that for a very real purpose. Earthen vessels, fragile clay pots is what he's talking about. We're not, there were a lot of other vessels that he could have used, bronze and different types of metals, but he says earthen vessels, clay pots. (laughs) By the way, Not a bad description of us because we're dirt. (laughs) Just really cool form dirt. Same minerals, same everything, but 
earthen vessels. And he tells us why God puts this glorious treasure of light in earthen vessels, notice, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. An earthen clay pot can't be real proud. The light inside is, is this, and it's the power of God, not for you and I. Now, when I think about that, light in earthen vessels, in clay pots, I think of the story of Gideon. If you're not familiar, I encourage you to go and read it yourself later. It's in Judges chapter 6 and 7. Great story, but I'm going to summarize it real quickly for you. Gideon, called by God to lead the children of Israel against the Midianite army that had come against them. The Midianites, their, their, their army had an estimated 135,000 trained killers coming against the children of Israel. Gideon was able to muster up an army of 22,000 to go fight them. God said, no, we got to get rid of this, some of these. we got to whittle that down a little bit. And so God whittled it down to 300. 300 men to go battle 135,000. And here's, here's their battle plan. Here's the weapons that they take into the war. They each got a trumpet. They each got a clay pot and a torch. And Gideon got the instructions and said, do what I do. Watch me and do what I do. You put the torch in the clay pot and you have your trumpet. In the middle of the night, they go and they break into three groups of 100 surrounding the camp of 135,000. 100 here, 100 here, 100 here. At Gideon's, at Gideon's call, the torch is inside the clay pot. They break the clay pot, blow the trumpets. The 135,000 look up, see all of the lights on the hill, panic. They start fighting each other, killing each other. At the end of the battle, guess how many Israelites lost their lives? Zero. 120,000 Midianites died, and the rest ran away. Not bad for a bunch of crack pots and torches. <laughs> but all glory goes to God, right? Well, let's go back and look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We have this treasure, this light in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God, not from ourselves. Verse 8, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Afflicted in every way. The enemy is coming against us and throwing everything he's got at us. But we're not crushed. He can bring depression, he can bring oppression, he can bring whatever he wants. But that word, that word crushed means that we're not constricted, we're not confined, we're not restricted. Whatever the enemy brings. We're perplexed, notice next, but not despairing. Perplexed, that Greek word is apareo, but not ex apareo. We are confused. We look around, we might be at a loss as to how to deal with this situation right here. But what it means is I'm not hopeless. I might not know how to deal with this exact situation right now that's come against me physically, emotionally, whatever it might be. But I'm not hopeless because my hope is in Jesus. My hope is anchored in heaven. I, so my hope isn't lost. I might not know exactly what to do right now. But I know this isn't going to crush me, and it's, I, there's no reason to despair. One translation puts it this way. Even when we don't know what to do, we don't give up. Persecuted, not forsaken. People, situations, those things around us may cause suffering, but God will never leave us, never forsake us, never allow us to go through anything alone. He's with us. 
Isaiah 41.10, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Persecuted, but not forsaken. And here we come to struck down, not destroyed. That word destroyed is apollomai. The same word that we see back in our text where they're saying we are perishing. Paul says here, we're struck down, but we are not perishing. We are not destroyed. We might face physical harm. We might face physical illness. We might be betrayed. We might be rejected, but we are not ruined. We are not destroyed. What can man do to me? As a born-again believer, we have promises that, that on the word of God, based on what he said and who he is, that can't be broken. And we can stand on those promises. Everything around us might look like we're going down, we're dying, we're perishing, we're all of this. But Jesus said this, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And he asks a question, do you believe this? Well, do you? <laughs> if we believe that, we're not ruined. We're not perishing. Verse 10, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, notice again, so that the reason, the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Always carrying around with us the dying of Jesus. Understand this believer, born-again believer, a historical fact took place in your life before you were physically born. The Bible tells us that I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Romans 6, 6 says, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. As a born-again believer, our old self was crucified with Jesus. The great news about that is our new self, our new creation, because of his resurrection, we now live and he lives in us. But notice it tells us that so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. That word manifested means easily recognized. We were crucified with Christ. Our old self died so that now our life should be, Jesus' life should be easily recognized in us. His light should easily be recognized in us. Pop quiz. What had to happen to those clay pots in Gideon's story in order for the light to shine. It had to be broken. Guys, we're not perishing. We are being given opportunities to shine. When we go through trials, when we go through storms, when we go through breaking, we're not perishing. We're given opportunity to shine. Back in our story, a couple of quick things to point out. Again, verse 36. It tells us other boats were with him. Other boats were around. The people in those boats, in the same storm, going through the same difficulty, watching, no doubt, what is going on in that boat. Guys, there are people all around us 
who are watching us as we go through the storms in our lives, as we go through the trials and difficulties in our lives. People are watching us. Other believers, some young in their faith, our children, they're watching. But as importantly, there are people in other boats watching who, by the way, Jesus isn't in their boat because they don't believe. They're skeptical or they're curious, but they haven't received Jesus in their life. They're watching us. Jesus is in our boat. Do we trust him? Do we believe him? Are we walking by faith so that they say, I want to be in that boat? Gideon said, look at me and do what I do. One other thing that in that same verse, verse 36, it says, leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, notice, just as he was. There's different commentators have ideas of what that means. And to me, really, the only thing it always just brought back to me is, Okay, I take Jesus with me. We're supposed to, right? We talked about that earlier. We, no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through, Jesus, we need to go right, to, right away. Let's take him with us every day, all day. But who is he? Who is he to me? You see, if, is Jesus a great teacher? Yes, of course he is. But if that's all he is, that's only gonna get you so far. Is, is Jesus your, your master? Well, if, 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 that, if that's it's true, but if that's all he is and you just kind of go to him for, for advice and, and follow in some things, that's only going to get you so far. Is he Lord of your life? And not only that, when we understand that Jesus is Lord of our lives, we need to understand and recognize that he's not only Lord of our lives, he's King of kings and Lord of lords. He's almighty, eternal, all-powerful, sovereign God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. He holds everything in the palm of his hand. And because of that, I can trust him no matter what. No matter what I face, no matter what I see, no matter what goes on around me, I can face that and trust him. His promises are true. And he made a promise to those disciples in just the statement he said, we're going over to the other side. That means we're going to make it. You're not perishing. You're being tested. I'm going to make it to the other side, and we have this similar promises. Turn with me to John chapter 14. Mark, Luke, John, just over to the right, a couple of few pages. John 14. This is a promise for you and I as believers. Jesus says this, verse 1, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Guys, that's a promise. Jesus went to prepare a place for you and for me. And he's coming again, and he's going to take us with him there forever. Guys, we are going to make it to the other side because he said so. And because he's all-powerful, almighty, sovereign, eternal God. They said, he says, you know where I am going? Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's a promise, guys. We can trust him. 1 Peter 1. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, please note, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, reserved in heaven for you, protected by the power of God for you. Guys, hear me again. We are going to the other side. Nothing can stop that. Doesn't matter what comes. Now, the the trip plans are still to be determined, but we're going to get there. One last thing on this, because I know, I know, because I've been there. I've battled this too. The enemy would love to tell you, man, you've blown it though. You've blown it. You've been in a storm and you totally panicked and you totally did and you, you know, God's done with you. You blew it. We're going to get there next week should the Lord tarry. Chapter 5, it totally blesses me that what does not take place at the beginning of chapter 5 is Jesus gets to the other side. He goes, get out, walk home, and starts rolling the other way. He doesn't do that. As a matter of fact, his grace and his love, and they immediately right away get another lesson. And he just keeps on teaching, keeps on instructing, keeps on patiently pouring into these guys. There's more tests coming. There's more quizzes coming, but he patiently continues pouring. Guys, it's the same with us. He understands. We, we, we panic. We, we, we start crying out. Our prayer, like I said, we, we can be all over the place with that. He loves us. He's patient with us, and nothing can separate us from his love and his promises. As a matter of fact, we'll close with this, Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced, convinced, Paul says, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of God, which purchased you and I, which redeemed you and I, which gives us this inheritance that cannot be taken away from us. That love, nothing can separate us from that. And I, I love that in Paul as he's going through that whole list. He's, he's listed a whole lot of specifics. And he says, just in case you think you can come up with something, he says, nor any other created thing. Which takes us back to the before creation, which was what? Just the triune God who loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for you. I mean, it can't be taken away. So let's do this as we close. Would you stand with me? Because we're going to declare this together, all right? We're going to own this ourselves, each individually. I want to read this together. Let's, let's, as a matter of fact, let's lift, our, let's lift our hands up to heaven and tell you this together. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you today for that promise. 
And we can hold on to that promise because of your love for us, the love that you demonstrated for us that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. You poured out your life in exchange for ours. Lord, we thank you for that truth. We thank you for that light. We thank you for the fact that you have entrusted us with that light. Lord, we even come to you now and we thank you for the tests that come our way, the trials, the difficulties, the storms. Because though being in the middle of it is is never pleasant, but we know that you are doing something. Nothing comes our way that you don't first allow, but also have a purpose behind. And Lord, our desire is that we would embrace anything that you allow that brings us closer to that that reality and that life that we have been crucified with you and it is no longer us who live, but you who live in us. And that through the process of, of squeezing, breaking, Lord, that just gives more opportunity for you to shine. So Lord, we pray that that we would be that, that we would be able to trust you no matter what. Lord, that we would know that, that you haven't given us a spirit of fear or of timidity. Lord, we're no longer slaves to that. We were once bound to, to, and slaves to the fear of death, but you have redeemed us from that. We're children of God. And in that, Lord, we know we are making it to the other side. We thank you that you will never leave us, never forsake us, that you are always with us. If you're here today and you've never, you've never responded to the Holy Spirit drawing you to Jesus, you've never made him Lord of your life, I encourage you today, follow Jesus today. It's a matter first of, of simply being honest with yourself before your creator and, and confessing that you're a sinner, that, that your life is sinful, that you're going the wrong direction, that even if you're trying to do good, you realize that that can't possibly make up for the sin in your life. And repentance simply means to turn from the direction you're going and turn to Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, and simply go to him and surrender your life to him. And a prayer doesn't save you, but prayer is simply a response from your heart to him. And you could say, just along these lines, you say, God, I'm a sinner. And I know that I can't save myself. I know that I can't fix this, Jesus, but I believe you died for me. I believe you took my place. Please forgive my sin. Wipe me clean. Give me eternal life. Jesus, I make you Lord of my life. I follow you from here on out. Fill me with your spirit. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've answered that prayer in each one of our hearts. As children of God, use us this week to shine brightly for you. In Jesus' name.